On today's OTP Road to Nashville, Titans legend Chris Johnson is in studio, sharing his draft experience from 2008 and reflecting on an amazing career. Titans Radio's Dave McGinnis has insight into what teams are doing in the final hours before the draft and shares why Arizona's selection at number one will have ripple effects all the way through the first round. That's today on the OTP Road to Nashville. We start now. It's one day until players are drafted in Nashville. Welcome to the OTP Road to Nashville. I'm Mike Keith with Amy Wells. And we are honored to have with us this morning one of the greatest Titans draft picks of all time. And this morning he came to the facility here at St. Thomas Sports Park and retired. It's hard to believe. Chris Johnson, welcome. Thanks for having me. You look great. I'm going to pull that mic up just a little bit. There you go. Uh Beautiful. Awesome. So you decided you wanted to do it. You wanted to retire a Titan. Why was it important for you to do that? What led to the decision? Um, it was always important. You know, I already been tired, um, retired for over a year now. Um, and just, you know, it was more of, you know, a lot of people had parts of this, the fans, the organization, and also myself, you know. Was, I feel like this was a group effort. Um and just wanted to come back to where it all started at. You know, this is the first organization, the one that gave me a chance to live out my dream. So it was only right. What are you the most proud of in your career? Um, basically making it, making it really, because um, coming from where I came from and then, you know, going to a smaller school, um, East Carolina, you know, it was hard for us guys to go to the NFL not just go to the NFL, but to be a first-rounder, um, it meant a lot. So, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears put forth on trying to make it. When I first went to college, it was just all about trying to make it to the NFL. And then once I started playing college football, it was about going to be a first-rounder. Um, and then that happened. So I feel like that was probably my, my biggest accomplishments um, so far. In your career, one thing stands out. You're one of seven backs in the 99-year history of the <laughs> NFL to rush for over 2,000 yards. It's hard to believe that was nearly 10 years ago. What are your best memories of the 2,000-yard season of that accomplishment? Um, I, I would say all the, all the long runs, all the long runs. It was just like every week it was just happening. I was breaking a long run here, breaking a long run there. So it was just like um, it was something about it like, I just knew every week I was going to have a big play, and it just kept happening, happening, happening. What was the hardest part of putting together a 2,000-yard season? Um, I would say staying healthy because, you know, it used to be some some after some games, um, you know, it's the preparation of getting ready for the next game, um, you know, hurting and bruised up pain and all that. So it was just the, the hardest part was getting ready every week. Know what I'm saying? Then I had great coaches, you know, and Jeff Fisher, Heimerdinger, and um, Ernest Bynum and stuff knew how to get me ready for each week, knew how much reps I needed, knew how much rest I needed, and just to get me get me ready. And then, you know, it got tougher and tougher as the season 
went along because it, everybody knew I was getting the ball. It wasn't it wasn't a secret. So everybody knew I was getting the ball. So when it's like when you get to week 12, 13, 14, and they know you're getting the ball, and it just gets tougher and tougher. So I have some questions from social media. The people mm-hmm. want to talk to CJ2K. Of course. <laughs> of course. Is there a run or a play that sticks out in your mind as your favorite run? My favorite run, um, I would say the Jacksonville game run because coming in the league, it was, I, it was a knock on me saying that, you know, I was just an outside runner or, or I didn't break tackles or I was too small. I wanted every down back. And just on that one play, it showed that I can – be an all-around back, running in between the tackles, running the safety over, and, and scoring after that. So, yeah, that was my, my uh, favorite play. Uh, Cole would like to know, what team was your favorite team to play against? Um, Houston. Houston was always my favorite team. It was always a great atmosphere, and um, it was always a good game. All right, here's I have one more. Go. This one's from Trey. What was your hype song? Like, what did you listen to to get you ready for games? Um, my hype song. It wasn't one particular hype song, but I used to um, listen to um, Lil Wayne. That was my favorite artist, so I just put Lil Wayne on it, whatever song came on. Biggest disappointment getting hurt in the playoff game against Baltimore your rookie year because they they could not stop you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was my that was one of the top on the list um, in disappointing moments because I really feel like. If if I wouldn't have got hurt, um, that we, we would have won that game. And then I really feel like that was our year to win the Super Bowl. Us too. The <laughs> Titans took you 24th in 2008. What do you remember about draft day? Um, just hanging around family and and all that. And I, and I could remember, like, Days before the draft and stuff, you know, you get all the the calls and stuff from the scouts and a few coaches and stuff. And throughout that process, um, <clears throat> me and Ernest, we had done develop a, a relationship already because, you know, he played running back at ECU. I played running back at ECU. He was the running back coach here. So he called me a day before the draft, and he like, hey, if you there at 24, we going to take you or whatever. Um, and, you know, you got that from a, a lot of different coaches saying we were interested, we're going to take you this and that or whatever. So um, so just sitting there watching the draft, keep seeing all the running backs go. Four running backs had that win already. I'm like, oh, man, because I, honestly I thought Dallas was going to draft me because that year they had, um, they had an earlier pick and then they had another pick at 20, 21. Or whatever. They take Felix Jones? They took Felix Jones. Yeah, yeah they had a pick at 21, and they, they took Felix Jones. So then after that, when Tennessee came up, I know what he had told me. And then probably, like, I think Jeff Fisher called me, like, a minute after we got on the clock or whatever like that. So, so, so. you kind of had an inkling that the Titans could be one of the teams in play to take you. Yeah, yeah. I know there was a few teams that, that, that was in angle to, to play me, but I seen they went in a different direction. So when Tennessee came, I'm like, okay, we're going to see what happened. Then I got the um, the 615 area code called me or whatever like that. So it was like, oh, man. <laughs> so let me throw just a couple of quick ones at you. Favorite teammates that you played with with the Titans? Um, I would have to say basically the whole running back – 
room, you know, admire Hall, Quentin Ganther, um, Lindell White, um, then, you know, Vince, uh, Keith Bullock, all those guys, man. It was it was just great playing with those guys because, you know, me coming – and I don't like to keep saying it's a smaller school because, we, you know, we raising at ECU, but when I, the time when I came out, it was a smaller school, and it's just like all these guys that I'm naming, these guys is – big school guys that right. me coming up in, in college, me watching those guys, because all those guys that I'm naming, these guys are older than me. I was the young buck, so me coming in and being there to play with them guys on the same team, it was just amazing. When you saw Derrick Henry go off against Jacksonville on Thursday night, was it almost deja vu for you? Um, it was a little bit, but I, I knew what he could do. Like, I used to be like, dang, why, they, why won't they just ride – why why won't they just ride Henry? Like he's the type of back like you just can't give him the back. Um, can't give him the ball every now and then. And st- like you have to feed him. He's such a big guy, and eventually that defense gonna wear down, and he gonna start to have runs like that. Would you when you when you watch him play? I was with Eddie George yesterday, and he gave him the advice. He said, "Run over some dudes. Show yeah. him you can do it. We know you've got the home run hitting ability." Mm-hmm. As he showed, this is the 99-yard run with all the stiff arms. It was just unbelievable. But like you, I mean, there are certain backs, and no matter what your 40 time says, there are some guys who can just pop the long one. Yeah, You could do it. He could do it. What allows you to, to have that ability? Um, it's just like even for me following his career um, at Alabama, uh, I've seen him break a lot of long runs in. Um, it's just something you got to get accustomed to and, and used to or whatever. And I think with with him is, it's more than just his speed. It's just he's such a big guy. He surprised a lot of guys with his speed. You know what I'm saying? So when he breaks out in the open, they're like, oh, I didn't know he was that fast. See, with me, everybody knew I was that fast. They just didn't know what the right angle was to take. take. And even if they did take the, the right angle, I still outran the angle. So, it was just hard on guys. It was amazing, though. I mean, the preseason game, his rookie year, when he popped the long run right off the bat, I'd never seen a player that fast in person. And, and I mean, it was it was a moment. I mean, they we had Coach Fisher wired for Titans All-Access, and his reaction was even, whoa. I mean, he played with Walter Payton. I mean, it, it, was, it was special to see what you could do. And in that 2008 season at Kansas City – you had the long run right before halftime at Cincinnati that set us up. I mean, there were several big moments where it was just it was just a different element. You were to our offense on the 2008 team what Javon Curse was to our defense in 1999, mm-hmm. and it was just a, a totally different element that you provided. Yeah, and it was crazy because even during the draft process and all that, the type of things like you know all the draft analysts and all the draft needs, it was that Tennessee <clears throat> needed a receiver. So a lot of people didn't like the pick because they like, yeah, we just had Lindell just run, rush for 1,000 yards. Um, I need I real big need is a receiver. So for them to go running back, and I think the last, the year before that, they just took a running back at in, in the, the second round. Right. Lindell was the first round, then they took a running back in the second round, and they come back and take another running back in the first round. So – a lot of people didn't like the pick, so you know, just had to make them happy with it. Well, the you pick. know who got everybody straight on it? In the, just down the hall, walked in. Mike Heimerdinger told everybody, he said, 
This is not a specialty back. This is an every down back. Mike Heimerdinger was your champion. Yeah. He was also extremely hard on you. Anybody yeah. who watched practice knows he never let up on you. I don't know that there was anybody who loved you more, however, than Mike Heimerdinger. Yeah, I love Mike Heimerdinger, man. He was he was definitely, definitely tough on me. Um, not just on the field, even like, you know, I come into work and I got a note in my in my locker or something like that and I got um, Mike Hammerdinger want to see you. I ain't no telling what I did or anything. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I got to take this long walk. This is like taking a long walk to the principal office uh, when you get in trouble and you got to go home to your dad or to your mom. That's how. That's what type of relationship man Mike Hammerdinger had. So not only what everybody seen out there on the field, but also in here when I used to have to go to his office for different things. Well, he was most proud of, he told me one time about the 2,000-yard season, was that CJ had over 500 yards receiving, averaged over 10 yards a catch, which was which is a great figure for a back. Most backs average five, six, seven, eight yards a catch, average 10 yards a catch. And the fact that your year, you put up the all-time leading, not just not rushing yards, but yards from scrimmage, over 2,500 yards, Dinger was so proud of you in the past game because he harped on CJ and said, you know, CJ could be so good in the past game. He never let up on you about it. Yeah, he never let up on me about it because my whole career, not even, not even in the NFL, but um, in college, all I really cared was about rushing yards. All I really cared <laughs> about was rushing yards. So when I came here, you know, he he was trying to develop that that game with me in the receiving game and stuff like that. So it started to show my rookie year or whatever, and then it just he just put more on my plate once I learned the playbook and knew knew it like the back of my hands, and he put everything in or whatever what I can do. And I just got that much better in the passing game and got that much better with catching the ball and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he was real hard on me about that. And we got a couple more questions from people who are watching live on our social media accounts. Um, how does it feel to be back in Nashville? Um, it feels great. Um, this is not my first time. I'm here. I'm I'm here a lot now because when I first uh, moved up here, my rookie year, I can remember. Um, it was easy when I first got here because you know we was in the Maxwell House and stuff like that. And then so I had bought a house in Brentwood, ten thousand square feet house or whatever. So we get released out of camp and stuff so I'm I'm I go home or whatever I'm like hearing all these crazy noises I'm in this big old house by myself <laughs> whatever I still remember I called my mom I'm like you gotta tell my brothers them they gotta move up here or whatever yeah so my brother them end up moving up here and then when I end up leaving they stay so they still here <laughs> great so I be in and out of town a lot so that's awesome yeah. what advice do you have for current players as far as as far as anything, anything, what advice in terms of being as successful as you have been? Um, just work, keep continue to work hard and, and and believe in yourself because one thing about it, this this it happens fast. So just have fun with it, enjoy the time because before you when you before you know it, it's gonna be over. It's gonna be time to retire, and it goes by fast. I've had a lot of people ask, and this one's a doozy. 
What do you think is your current 40 time? My current 40? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's 4-2 unless I run another one. <laughs> <laughs> He's done. He's never doing it again. Yeah. 4-2-4. Four, four. I love it. It was. The, did it hurt you when, when it got broken? Um, a little John bit, Ross? but I, I think it's a conspiracy theory. Really? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. You don't think it actually happened? Uh-uh. Okay. <laughs> All right. They needed some excitement to the combine. They had to do something. Nice. Did you see the video? I did. <laughs> oh no! Sorry, John. I like. See, that's the beautiful thing about fast guys. They are competitive until the day that they die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Willie Galt was a guy that I covered. Played for the Chicago Bears. He was an Olympic sprinter, and you know he's still running over fifty. In different, I mean, and crazy how I think he ran like a four four over fifty. Mm-hmm. Fast guys never die. Yeah, at least in in here they never die. <laughs> <laughs> True, right? Hey, what do you think about Nashville hosting the draft? Uh, and are man, you going to do great. some things around the draft? Yeah, I got a I got a lot of different things that's going on. Um, I have my supplement um, line that just actually released today. Or whatever. Then I got a, some signings, some appearances. So my schedule is pretty booked throughout the week. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, it was funny when you left. It was hard for us to see you with other teams. I mean, that was <laughs> that was difficult because you meant so much to, to us here. But there was a, a sense of admiration for how professional you went about. You know, watching you from afar – we could see the professionalism continue to develop. And it, it was funny. I mentioned I was with Eddie yesterday at a season ticket member function, and he was always so professional, and you did the same thing. I mean, yeah. Chris Johnson, it, it was a career well done. Uh, these jerseys and, and all of this that, um, that you didn't put on this one exactly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, having had you as part of the Tennessee Titans is one of the great thrills for all of us. And I speak for fans. I speak for people in this building. I speak for the broadcasters. I speak for the people who covered you. Well done, sir. Well done. And thank you for coming back and retiring as a Titan. And um, all of the moments and the moment and the time that you've given us today, we should appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, too. And it was a – and, like, even with that whole situation, like – you know, um, it's, it's really no bad blood sure. between it or whatever. And I can't lie, like, you know, I felt, I felt some type of way for a long time. But it was like um, <clears throat> I just had to understand that it's, it's more than a game. It's a business. Like, it was never a situation where um, <clears throat> I was never the type of player. Like, I never, I never went upstairs and requested a trade or anything like that. My number one goal was I always wanted to play my whole career with one team. Right. So I never, I never wanted to leave Tennessee, but you know it was a business, and you know they wanted to go in a different direction or whatever. So it took me a while to get over that or whatever. But I gotta understand it's a business, and at the same time is um, I can't continue to be mad at an organization that made my dream come true, um, and especially to the Adams family that. Um, and opened their wallet and gave me so much money and stuff like that. Like, and they the reason why I'm able to take care of my family and never have to work again if I don't want to. Um, they're the reason, so I can't be upset with them. I got to understand it's a business, and that's another big reason why 
I I really felt like it was the right thing to come to retire as a Titan and and all that and and hopefully um well not hopefully i know y'all see me more around Good. here awesome and all that. that's so, what we want you so have a place yep. you have a place here any uh anytime you want it i mean guys who uh, put their blood sweat and tears into it like you did i mean it's yours yeah. and so mm-hmm. thank you so much and thanks for coming by thanks for having me all right we're gonna let cj go so if you want to click his microphone off there boom and, and talk about Money. (laughs) How about Frank Clark? Holy smokes. And what happened yesterday in the NFL with the trade? Thank you, sir. Frank Clark traded from Seattle to Kansas City. In order to make the deal happen, KC gives Clark a five-year, $105 million contract. $63.5 million of that is guaranteed. So he gets more than Demarcus Lawrence. In return... Seattle gets Kansas City's number one pick. They swap spots in the third round this year. Mm -hmm. And then Seattle will get a number two next year. So Seattle now with two ones, 21 and 29, 92, which is in the third round, and then a fourth and a fifth rounder. You get a feeling they're not done. No. Kansas City is now out of the first round, but they still have two twos and a three. And then they have, you know, a full allotment on day four as or on day three as well. So Kansas City's in good shape with uh, with picks. And now we kind of look at the big Thursday graphic that we showed you yesterday because there's one more team with two number ones, and that's Seattle. Oakland has three number one picks tomorrow. The Giants with two, Green Bay with two, and now Seattle has two. Five teams do not have a first-round pick, and that would include Cleveland, Dallas, Kansas City, New Orleans, and Chicago doesn't pick until the third round. Coach Dave McGinnis from Titans Radio takes the CJ chair. I right, just I saw CJ. Wasn't that cool? It's really great. So and, and Griff was out there too. You know, Griff. Griff was standing out. Griff and I were standing out there. Oh no, kidding! Watching y'all and, and waiting and and talking and I mean, just to see those kind of guys. I mean, there's a reason we were good. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, got good players. And and just I mean, but, but y'all's interview was uh, love CJ. Oh, I know. I mean, and that, I mean, and I'm so happy to see him doing well right well, now. Well, and you think about this too, Coach. What we do on Titans Radio. Guys like that who break ninety-yard runs—they're good for business. Well, he was—he was electric. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean I, it was—it was so much fun. You were holding your breath all the time. My great regret—I have two great regrets with him—and I mentioned the two thousand eight playoff game where he got hurt against Baltimore. That, 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 that was yeah. a Super Bowl ring. He had seventy-two yards in the first half, and they uh, Baltimore looked like they had no idea what to do with him. They mm-hmm. had no answer. And the second thing was the horrendous call on a mod hall on the long run at Seattle in the third quarter where there's no he broke a long run and Ed Hockley for some reason no, called, hey, look don't you're nice I know well <laughs> he, let me just say what happened and then you can go forward uh, he called holding on a mod hall behind the play Seriously? Yeah, and, and I blew it on the radio because I called it a touchdown, and I didn't see the flag because I saw him clear, and there was no flag. And so I'm calling the play, and I'm getting all excited. And that run in that moment would have put him over 2,000 yards, and he would have been in a great position to go after Eric Dickerson's 2105 mm-hmm. at that point. It was, it was a really um, 
questionable call. No. Okay. Can I start? Now go. <laughs> it's your show. It was one of the most egregious behind-the-play calls on a on a two-back lead run, and plus he didn't hold him. I mean, that that call. I've been with Jeff Fisher for a lot of years, right? Yes. In a lot of ball games. Yes. That still stings all of us. It sticks with us because everybody had worked so hard, and and CJ had worked so hard. It meant everything. It was the worst ever. I tell Hockey Lee every time I see him. I mean, it's well, he just, apologized ooh. for the call later. Yeah, it doesn't help now. No, but <laughs> it, it was it was bad, and and it as you said, he had a chance to go after Dickerson's record. He had a chance to get that thing. And uh, he, but the player, the player, let's get back to see just a minute. Sure. One of the most electric dudes ever on a field. He could actually make a whole stadium stand up. He could. When he, when, when he touched it. The, the, the three fastest guys, and I've been in about 650 NFL games. The three fastest guys I've ever seen in person on a football field, in pads, in a game. Willie Galt. Yes. When I was with the Bears, because that's world-class speed. And it was, it was mind-blowing to look at. Deion Sanders. Yes. And CJ2K. And that's pretty fast company. Yeah, to say yeah. the least. <laughs> yeah, those are some fast guys. Speaking of Coach Mack and what? his strong opinions, do you have something? Well, I was going to go back and give him a shot at Frank Clark. That's what I was go- going to okay, do, well, too. Okay, you go ahead. I, was, I thought it was a good transition. Nice, hmm. Nicely done. Shame. <laughs> um, we were just talking about the uh, Frank Clark trade. What is your reaction to that? Well, first of all, y- you knew Seattle had already set things in motion with this trade guys when they put the franchise tag on him once they put the franchise tag on him and then when they gave the quarterback the huge contract and all that money you can't keep everybody together on that type of money now could they have done it maybe possibly yes were they out of money where they couldn't have paid him no but franchising him being able to have his rights giving Russell Wilson the money and then finding a trade partner that that wanted to move that had lost an edge person and and trades are only good if they benefit both parties both parties benefited from this trade I think it was a good trade John Schneider wanted more picks in this draft what he come into it with Mike four four and so he yeah he wanted he wanted some more picks but I think it was a really good move by both by both squads you know because you know Frank Clark is still a young player a very productive player but at the at the same time in this day and age, you have got to make you have got you when it's like driving a car. You've got to look at all your mirrors when you're driving your your franchise down the road. And they knew that sooner or later this was going to be a money issue. And John Snyder, I mean, they took a chance on Frank Clark. They drafted him at the end of the second round in exactly. 2015. He had off the field problems in at Michigan, which dropped him down. And then last year, 13 sacks in his fourth year. So they got taking that chance. They got good production, and now they get a number one out of him, a number two next year out of him. They clear $17 million worth of cap space. Uh, Looks, I mean... John Snyder, pretty good at his job. Yeah, it is. And the other thing that 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 it tells you is how is how is how strong and entrenched Andy Reid is because you know the issues they've had there with with some some off the field player yeah. issues with that franchise, and to be able to absorb and bring another that has a hit, you know, in his past, he hasn't done anything now, but at least it's still it's always going to be just as you mentioned it. It will always be part of the conversation. But you have to. He would have had to have gone to an organization that was strong enough 
to be able to take that in, and, and clearly the Chiefs and Andy Reid are. Okay, so that's the big move that has happened since we were last on the air. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about 24 hours, the last 24 to 30 hours of the draft. The draft will start at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. What are NFL teams, coaches, personnel people, people in the offices, what are they doing right now to prepare for tomorrow night and for the weekend? It's all about the phone right now. I mean, they're on the phone. There are a lot of things going on on, 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 the, on the telephones, you know, trying to find out the landscape around where your pick is. You're looking forward. You're looking behind. You're also – the board is set. The board is set. And now what you're, what you're doing, you are working the board mentally in your mind. And you're also, when you're making calls, you're going to make calls. I may call Amy, but in a roundabout way, I'm going to call her to find out if she's talked to you, you know, about anything that's going on with you. So that, so that, because I might be really wanting to find out information about, about Mike Keith's team and what he's thinking, but I don't want to call Mike Keith. You know, I'm going to call Amy because I know Amy may have talked to Mike Keith on something else. And that way you, you, you try to, you try to, and you're going to have to give a little information, but you try to get a lot more, but you go, you know, you, you go a roundabout method right now because you've got to find out what the landscape is around you because there's going to be some moves in this draft, this draft, there's going to be some moves in this draft because it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens. And it's all, it's all going to cascade off of this first pick. Speaking of snooping around, you were the head coach in Arizona. <laughs> so, nice how she did this. Yeah, it was nice, right? She's awesome. Um, you know the Bidwell family. You know their gener- general manager, Steam Kime. You know sports in that scene in the Valley. So as we're trying to figure out what in the world is going to happen with Kyler Murray and Arizona's number one pick, what can you kind of shed some light on? Talk maybe about some of the factors that are coming into play there. Well, first of all, you know, when I was out there at the franchise, the whole thing was getting a stadium because if they hadn't gotten a stadium, you know, when, when we finally did do it, and it was, a, it was a long, arduous process going through. I mean, I spoke to more state assemblies and you know I, I did more politicking than I I mean I was a politician basically you know for three years trying to get that thing done and we finally got it done but in in the in the in the context of doing that the valley has grown so much and you know they've got they got four major sports franchises out there I mean they got you know they they got the Suns they've got the Coyotes they've got the Diamondbacks and they got the Cardinals well every one of those franchises right now in the valley is in the tank they're not good I mean, it's just it's just true. This is a chance, you know, for Michael Bidwell, who's in charge now to to capture that valley and they need to do it. Their ticket sales have been down. They've been down because they haven't been good. They've just fired a head coach, Steve Wilkes, after nine months on the job, you know, which is that's that's rough. And so that 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 that's some instability that people look at. And people, you know, have a tendency, especially out there, guys, it's a lot different because not everybody out there is from there. You're not right. from there. You've got to adopt a team when you do come in there because that's that's a destination place for people. You know, for years it has been, and it's still expanding and growing. So they've got a chance to capture this market, and one way to do it is you is is you draft a, a you get a young 
head coach in there that, that comes from an air raid offense that, that throws the ball all over the lot, and then you get the top quarterback in the country that runs that offense, all right? Now, does that move the, min, the needle? Some of the things that I've heard and the people I've talked to out there, you know, a lot of people, is that when they, when they kind of chum the water with Murray and threw it out there, it didn't move the needle that much. People were like, yeah, that's not okay. So what they're trying to figure out now, because, look, they're in a prime position. They can either trade that pick, they can take the best defensive player in the draft, or they can, they can say, all right, we're going to trade Josh Rosen, who we traded up to get in last year's draft, and get Kyler Murray in there and then make that our identity, you know, with Cliff Kingsbury and this new offense and let's go. People buy tickets and let's go. So right now it's very interesting. I believe it. I believe it when I hear because I've talked to too many people in too many areas out there. They're still not decided yet. So for the Cardinals, is this their prime opportunity, this 2019 draft, for them to kind of take control of the sports scene in the Valley? Yes, because everybody else is bad. I mean, everybody else is real bad. And figures to be bad for a while. Well, yeah, and you start looking. I mean, you know, they've just fired a coach, right? At the, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, Suns. At the Suns. I mean, they they've done some things. It's down. It's not good. And so they've got a chance to capture it because when they were going really good, you know, when when they had that thing going, you know, with, with Kurt Warner and those guys out there, that they'll support it. People will support it. People will come, and it's a beautiful stadium. And I mean, it's they'll support it. And they are they're they're in a division right now where if they can come back and recapture the thing. Now they're still not very good on defense, but if they can do that, they've got a chance to to generate some momentum right now to get it ginning a little bit again. But this is going to be very interesting. This this is going to be a big big topic on this draft. Who's making the call? You know what? Michael Bidwell's in charge. Michael Bidwell is in charge. I mean, let's just, you know, let's just get that out there. Steve Kime was an area scout when I was there, and I've and I, I got a lot of respect for Steve Kime. He's good. He's very good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. He stood with me and stood on a table in a draft room when nobody else wanted Anquan Bolden because that was his area he was in. You know, he stood with me on him. He stood with me on Kyle Vandenbosch, okay? He, you know, he he stood with me on, on some guys, Adrian Wilson. Terrell you know, Suggs. Yeah, uh, he stood with me on that. We didn't win that one. No. Yeah, we didn't win that one. But anyway, I, I respect him as a football man. I respect him as – but Michael Bidwell's running that – Michael Bidwell runs that show. Okay. You mentioned earlier, and we should probably circle back to this, you mentioned Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. Hard name to say. It is a hard name to say. And his air raid offense. Talk a little bit about – what exactly that is, and the difference between college and the pros. Well, it, it, it's all about it's all about the hash marks on the field, because the hash marks on the field, you know, in, in college football, you've got one side of the field in college football if the ball's on a hash that is a lot of land. It's a lot of area. There's different throws. There's different, you know, route concepts. You know, out, out of these out of these offenses in 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 college and the NCAA, the route uh, the, the route the route concepts aren't the same as National Football League because the windows are so large. They're so large. They're mainly running just to areas and stopping and looking, and you don't really have to read a whole lot of coverage because unless you unless you really really take your defense and move it all to the wide side of the field and bring it, it's hard to cover all of that space. You know, so that's why you see so many of these these defenses in college football they're doing so well, starting with Nick Saban, they play a lot of press man coverage. They'll play man coverage on the outside and so they can help compact the inside of that uh, of, of the field. 
Now, for the National Football League, with the hash marks moved in, you know, as to where the uprights are, that everything's the middle of the football field. Every, windows are tighter in the National Football League. So he's going to have to adapt his route concepts. And when you adapt your route concepts and your windows become tighter for your quarterback to throw through. All right, that's, that's going to be a little bit of the difference. It will still work because you've got an athletic quarterback, if we're talking about Kyler Murray, that can move. You either have to have one of two things. You either have to have a, a quarterback that can maneuver the cylinder and give those windows a chance to open up, or you've got to have a guy that's got a tremendous gun that can just stand back there and spin it. Okay, Kyler Murray is, is, is an accurate passer. Not as accurate as what Baker Mayfield was in that, but he's a guy that can move, can manipulate a pocket, and he's a cylinder thrower. He's thrown, you know, he's thrown in the cylinder a lot in his career, but you have to adapt it because of the hash marks. Okay, so if Arizona decides to not go with Kyler Murray, can Josh Rosen operate yeah, I you know, the air raid offense? I don't know that. I mean, I, 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 he, it, Cliff Kingsbury is going to have to adapt. First of all, Cliff Kingsbury is going to have to adapt to the National Football League. You know, right. That's what he's going to have to do. But Josh Rosen, you know, vetting Josh Rosen, you know, coming out of UCLA, he's, he's, he, he's, more, of, he's more of a progression thrower. He's more of a five-step, you know, drop thrower, a cylinder thrower. Got a good arm, good arm, got good anticipation, those types of things. But he and Kyler Murray are two entirely different types of quarterbacks. Now, okay, so if you I'm, – I'm just listening, but tell me if I'm completely wrong here. If Cliff Kingsbury wants to do at least some of what he wants to do, even adapting to the NFL, sounds like he needs Kyler Murray. Yeah, well, here, here's, here's something about coaches, and you guys have been in this business a long time, not longer than I have, but it's not your fault. Okay. <laughs> Can't help when you were born. Okay, here's the, here's the thing. Coaches coach what they know. Right. This is what Cliff Kingsbury knows. There's a reason Michael Bidwell fired a coach after a year and i think steve wilkes is a really good football coach L- much respect from coach mack for him I-, I like him i like what he does but they got rid of him and then he made a bold move to go get cliff kingsbury who had been fired from texas tech who had just been in the offices at usc for about five weeks maybe hadn't had any time to put his his, his books down there so he hired him for a reason all right and I would say that Cliff Kingsbury is in there pretty, you know, again, I don't, I don't have that much inside information because they won't say that. But it just when you look at it on the outside and see what's forming up, if they, if they don't take him, they've still got a quarterback. And Cliff Kingsbury will be, still be able to run an offense and they'll still be able to do that stuff. But it, that's why it makes so much sense for Murray right now. But at the same time, then they start looking at it. And if it didn't move the needle like they thought it was going to move for the public, we'll see. All right. So with all of this being said, Coach Mack, all in this being your... said, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he jumped the gun on my question. Did they, well, I mean, they take him or not? Did they take Kyler Murray? I don't know. I really don't. But I mean, you I know Michael Bidwell. I do know Michael. And you I... know the Valley, and you know what they're up against, and yep. you know Kingsbury's offense. You know the answers. <laughs> you know I mean, you're, I mean, we're we're doing a science project in essence here because we're looking for a hypothesis. That's. That's a big word, but I do know what it means. Sure you do. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. No, I do, it's, Mike. It's I, I really do. And that, that's, the, that's, the beauty, that's the beauty of the draft. Sure. But that is also, and again, now this is conspiracy theory, but that, that, the, the drama of this draft, oh, with yeah. that going on, mm-hmm. the drama of this draft, you know who's loving it? Everybody involved with the National Football League. And everybody yep. involved with television. Everybody involved yep. with television. Everybody involved with what we do. Because when that thing comes on, I mean, you've got every network in the country covering this, right? I mean, they're all down here. Yes. Everybody, yeah. everybody, I mean, every network in the country, you know, Telemundo, everybody's here, okay? <laughs> and so when you look at it, 
this is the big everybody's this is the big wait moment that will be the that time on the clock i mean we're going to be sitting there going what do we do here? what do we yeah. do here because go ahead all right so try this charles davis our friend nfl network fox the best of the best uh, tennessee sports hall of famer as of june the 15th by the way congratulations Woo-hoo. to him he, his theory that he just floats is that they could trade down, Arizona could trade down, and still end up with Kyler Murray. And here's the theory. What if they make a trade with Oakland? Oakland goes up to one. John Gruden doesn't want a rookie quarterback because John Gruden hates rookies anyway, but he does not want to deal with a rookie quarterback. So they take a defensive player or something. Then at number two, San Francisco takes a defensive player. At number three, the Jets take a defensive player, and then sitting right there at four, Arizona, having traded down, could still take Kyler Murray. And that, to me, that would be beautiful. It would be beautiful. I mean, that would be something. And and it's and and I agree with. And plus, I, I second what you say about Charles. I, I the best. I love it. But that makes sense. And as much as anything makes sense right now. At this point, in but the draft. what does make sense? That's nothing. That's, I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> nothing makes and, sense. And, that's, right and now. that's that's the beauty of the draft, and especially as to what the draft has grown into. I mean, this is going to be. I did a I did a big thing last night, you know, with Greg Cosell, and yes. we had a lot of people. I mean, the whole the, just the the vibe around this thing, and when you look at downtown, and we're going to do another. You know, we've got things going until people actually get on the clock. It's it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's great, but. People can start, you can, Charles may have something there, but we're going to find out because here's who knows those, the the people in the draft room that are doing what we started this, what my section of this podcast with after CJ2K ran a 4-2 out of here when he was, (laughs) when, when, when he was done is that's what these phone calls are about right Right. now. That's what this time is about right now. When, you know, when you guys ask, that's what's going on. That's when this, this stuff is, is percolating right now. Whatever. What does John Robinson want to happen with Arizona and Kyler Murray? I think, I think, I think. Or does it matter to him? It doesn't really matter because it's that far up there. Okay. Okay. And, and if, if, I don't think Kyler Murray will fall all the way, will cascade all the way down you know, and start pushing people that far. Just what you you put out there, what Charles said to the fourth round, that would make no difference whether it's first pick or fourth right. pick. That makes that makes no difference. What happens is if it starts to affect that pod from about from about twelve to thirteen, that makes a difference. Well, because what's interesting with it is if Kyler Murray goes one to Arizona, then the next quarterback off the board is actually Josh Rosen. Because mm-hmm. he's getting traded somewhere, so that means somebody who would select a quarterback is not going to because they're going to trade for Josh Rosen. Right. So is that New York Giants? Is it Washington? There you go. It, you know, is it Denver? Who would that be next? I, I still think the Giants at thirty-seven because the Giants have six, they have seventeen, and they have thirty-seven. 37. Yep. If they offered thirty-seven for Josh Rosen. Let him come back up Eli Manning. If it works, great, because they probably draft two defensive players at 6-17 and 17 and get their quarterback, who was the 10th pick in last year's draft. If it doesn't, they're out of second-round pick. Life goes on. Don't you love the draft? I love it so much. I mean, I do too. I mean, don't you really, seriously, don't you just love this? And, that, and when I was coaching, this, of course, I, I, I needed a lawnmower battery on my phone because I was on the phone constantly. <laughs> you know, this, this, Who was this, the best person to talk on the phone to during all of this? 
Whose call did you enjoy the most for whether it be an NFL person, a media person? Who 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 was it that spun it? Who was you, giving up the goods? Who who was it you would take their call every single time, Dave McGinnis? I would never not take a call. That's okay. number one. At this time of year, you never not take a call. Okay. That's just you don't you, you don't you don't not take a call. There are some people the the ones that I liked dealing with were the ones where I could say, Mike, here's what we're here's what we're doing. Are you in on this? The calls I didn't like is is guys that were going was going like CSI, you know, going clear, you know, <laughs> that were going going. You know, I'd, I'd finally say, look, what are we doing here? Yeah, it, it doesn't take that. Look, you know, I've I'd, I've been in the cattle business. Look, you either want it or you don't. If not, I'll move it out of the pen. But let's go. You know, those. See, that's why you understand John Robinson because he grew up in West Tennessee. Yeah, we're a lot mm-hmm. alike. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's not. It's not dissimilar at all. No, it's about a barbed wire fence difference. Right. That's, that's, that's about <laughs> it. And then, but but that that to me, and there, and there are guys in the league that, that, and the longer you're in the league, the more respect you have for people and the more they have for you. So when the phone rings, they know you've got something going on. Now, there are some people that when you get on the phone, I mean, it, a guy that was beautiful on the phone, as you guys would, would think, that I was in a draft room with for long years was Jeff Fisher. I mean, he oh, yeah. was... Because, you know, but but anyway, I'm talking about, you know, with other people. What about I'm, Jimmy Johnson? When I'm, when I'm listening. When Jimmy came into the league, of course, I wasn't, I wasn't quite, I, I wasn't, I didn't quite have enough water in my bucket yet when Jimmy came into the league to be, you know, talking, you know, there. But what he did, he was such a maverick when he came in the league. And, and Jimmy Johnson is brilliant. Brilliant. And, the, you know, and we've, we've looked at the chart that he started, you know, that now everybody has evolved a chart off of his. It, 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 it's gone through a lot, a lot of changes. But he he really got people thinking a little bit in this league, too. You know, he come in the league, you know, at 115, they figure, here's a college coach, and all of a sudden he turns it on his ear. You know, here's Herschel Walker. Let me have all these. And guess what we're getting ready to do? You know, the amazing thing about the Herschel, when they traded Herschel Walker to Minnesota mm-hmm. for all those picks, they never used – any of those draft picks. Never. Seriously? They turned every one of them into something else. That's exactly right. Wow. He got players in the deal. I mean, I think Jack Del Rio might have been in that deal. Yes. Wow. Um, But but the pick, all the picks, he would take the 54th pick and he spun it into two threes and he ended up with some defensive back from West Texas, no, A&M, no. A&I, <laughs> who ended up being a really good player. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it was it was incredible. It really was. And he was, he was because he was, first of all, you know, of course, I worked with Dave Wonstad, you know, yeah. for, and of course, Jimmy was there. And then when you, you know, it's, he was fascinating because he was so forward thinking and, and he was a, you can imagine what type of recruiter he was as a head coach in college. And of course, his, his you know, his, his college teams, you know, look at that Miami team that, had so many people he just understood how to put a football team together it was it was really fascinating to watch well amy you'll love this one so my boss Mm -hmm. was friends with him and so in my previous life when i hosted a sports talk show he got me an interview with jimmy johnson when he was at the height of being the cowboys coach super bowl champions yeah wow and for a little old guy from a little old radio station that was a big deal so we're going to meet in the lobby of a hotel and do this interview. And he comes down, shakes my hand. He says, you have 10 minutes. <laughs> Started the timer on his, uh, on his watch. <gasps> I was done in 9.52. Look at you. <laughs> but you got it done. to death. But wasn't he fascinating <laughs> to talk to? Fascinating. Him? Great interview. Great. Answered every question. 
And smart so then he gets up, s- and, and so I got ready to thank him, and he just shook my hand and just basically walked off. Smart as a whip. Yep. Wow. Anything social you'd like to throw out, Amy Wells? Here's before we one depart? question. This is kind of a logistical question. On the General Jackson this evening. Yes. Um, are there going to be, or during the draft, just throughout, are there going to be players on there who are doing autograph signings or no? I think there are players on there. Okay. I would assume there would be autograph signings. I apologize for not knowing. I will get the answer to that. We're I'll on tweet the, it out. We're on the General Jackson tonight at 6 o'clock, and we're live on Titans Radio, all our Titans Radio stations, including 104.5 The Zone. And then we're doing radio starting tomorrow night at 6, and then on Friday night at 6. And uh, selfishly, I, I, I'm embarrassed that I don't know the answer to that, but I've been concentrating on, <laughs> on doing five hours of radio, and uh, I'm, I'm almost sure that's true. I'll get the answer so, and, and tweet it and out. And they're all sold out. Uh, mm-hmm. Season ticket members have bombed everything we've done. We did season ticket member events yesterday with Eddie George and Charles Davis. It's packed. We're going from here to do a season ticket member event with Keith Bullock and Blaine Bishop and Kevin Carter and Dave McGinnis and Amy Wells at the Country Music Hall of Fame pays to be a season ticket member so cool but what a great transition into tomorrow's show tomorrow's show Mm -hmm. why did we do this program many have asked (laughs) including Uh, us including including everyone who works not us we've been excited about it but the reason we did it was to give you a sampling of everything associated with the 2019 nfl draft and so tomorrow is the otp exam review tomorrow night's the exam starts the exam we're going to give you a complete review. We're going to tell you what, what you should be watching when, you, when you're watching or hopefully listening to the draft on Titans Radio. If you're going down there, what you need to know. We're going to make you sound smart in front of your friends. Tell them, again, wh- what was the message? Walk in a room and go, I hope the Titans draft Dawson Knox so they can run more 13 personnel. Mm-hmm. I like See, so if you walk in and say that, how smart will your friends think you are? Brilliant. And, and we will hit everything in between tomorrow is the exam review so because we know you're going to be like nine hours away you're going to be hyper yep it's so time. we're going to make sure you have the right app address that you that you know where to go for everything we're going to get you straight on the otp on draft day can i give my review for the otp sure this has been brilliant what you guys, you guys have done. Thanks, Coach Matt. I mean, it was bad, I tell you, too. That's but true. This, this, this has really been something that you guys have done. I mean, it's been informative. It's, it, it, it's, it's, been, it's covered the range of so many things, and it's, and it's, it's contextualized everything to, as to where people could understand it. You guys have done a great job. Well, thank this. you. I mean, it's been fun. Like, we had Cody Webb on the other day who's going to be the face of the NFL Network's coverage with their open. We had uh, – uh, Anthony Pastrana and Joy Barranco on, who will make the literal picks for the Titans. <laughs> so good. We, I mean, so we've good. got, we've been all. John Robinson walked in here one day. Uh, we've been all over the road, you know, and that was the idea because this is fun. Yep. I mean, this is so exciting. If you haven't been downtown and seen the stage, you may cry. Yeah, I mean, at this point, wait until tomorrow and be surprised. It's all like, lit up, though. It's I mean, it's it's how it's going to look. I, I stopped. I was walking to the George Jones last night, mm-hmm. and I just stopped and stared at it. It's huge. It's huge. And I'm thinking, this is here. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, every day it becomes more 
real that it's happening. It is draft fever. I put on my draft shirt today, and that's how I knew it was real. That's it. I've got a pullover. Yes. So it's happening. Coach Mack, thank you. All right. See thank you, guys you for your expertise. In about five Amy, minutes. <laughs> Amy Wells, thank you as well. We remind you that it is just one day until players are drafted in Nashville. I'm Mike Keith. Thanks for joining us for the OTP Road to Nashville. Have a great day, everybody.